I'm Leonard Nimoy. Join me for In Search of... An Artemis! I'm John Heinz. As always, I'm here with my illustrious co-hosts and whatever Peggy wants to call herself this week. First is Shelly Cummings in Indianapolis. Hi, Shelly. Hi. Second is Jim Gentilly in Silver Spring, Maryland, mere blocks from the non-state. That's the first place in the pres- in the world that any U.S. president has called in the military to use against fellow Americans. Hi, Jim. Hello. And Peggy, don't call me Bennett, sitting in West <laughs> Michigan, nice Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hi, Peg. Hello. <laughs> uh, this edition of the podcast is an interview with wow. Gwenel Dene Danoye. Gwen is Des a professor Noyers. and researcher. Desnoyers. Yeah, Desnoyers. <laughs> Gwen is a professor and researcher at the University of Pennsylvania studying cancer and immunology. He tried to be a United pilot. He's an immigrant. One could say he's Parisian meat in an American bun. I've heard it. I've heard. Um, I've heard he's been admonished by friends in Macron land that he's more American than French. The jury's out on that. But Gwen and I became friends a very long time ago in Chicago. He moved to Philadelphia with an entourage that included a mad genius scientist at the same time as our beloved co-host, part-time frequent contributor, and full-time commitment phobe, Peggy. In Philly, Gwen and Peggy introduced me to uh, my first boyfriend when I came to visit him. And I think Jim was there as well. And that was a, a different world. Anyway, Gwen is a world traveler. He scubas with a San Francisco gay diving outfit, I think it's San Francisco, that explores places like Thailand, Micronesia, Tanzania, French Polynesia, and Hawaii, and Papua New Guinea. And in his free time, he volunteers. Uh, Gwen is uh, Gwen works uh, volunteers internationally, uh, and he often uh, has gone to North Africa to get involved in some major projects. But more than all of this stuff about Gwen's accolades, expertise, and adventures, he is what I would call a lover, not a fighter. And uh, for the young gay listeners out there, Gwen was that gay friend who pushed me to see the value of settling down when I had no interest in it. Okay, so that's Gwen. All that aside, Gwen's here today to talk, to chit-chat generally, the way we all just chit-chat on this stupid podcast. And we are going to talk about, but Gwen's pushing us today. We're going to be talking about a topic we haven't really hit on before. And I think we've only hit on one other serious topic on this podcast in the year and a half, two years. How long have we been doing this? Too long. Yeah, almost three <laughs> years. amount of time. Almost. Oh, Jesus. It, it, we're hitting on a serious topic, which is loss. Um, but we're starting a new segment today, and that's what we're starting with. So we're, we're doing a new segment today, and we're starting with just a check-in where we're, and, and, uh, to hear from each person and hear what's top of their mind. Uh, so let's start with you, Jim. What's top of mind? That you've forgotten to do the announcement about the podcast feed. Oh, well, that's. I thought I was going to do that separately, but you want me no, to do that? You're supposed to do that the at the beginning, and Shelly's supposed to say it again at the end. All right. Don't forget, everyone. So much for not scripting the podcast. Yeah, it's bad. We need to, I need to script this part. Thin ice, Peggy. Thin ice. <laughs> Eggshells. <laughs> Dear listeners, that's an inside joke related to what we were talking about before the podcast, which I'm sure we'll hit on later in the podcast about planning. But uh, if it comes up later, it comes up without my participation. Absolutely. The good. I feel that way too. So, Shelly, Peggy, Gwen, watch out. Don't bring it up. The feed, if you are listening to this in the two guys in search of an argument feed, it's the feed with the two guys arguing, you want to switch. This is the last episode that's going to be released under that feed. The new feed is in search of an argument.com. And uh, you can also get it in the, if, if you're looking at a, uh, a blue, um, a blue logo with a co- angry coffee cup, that's the new logo and that's the new feed and you've got the new feed. So you're fine. So, John, I have a question. Um, if they become so enraptured with our discussions, they are they able to go back to the In Search of Argument feed to hear past episodes? Yeah. Two Guys in Search of an Argument will sit there and be available. And okay. you can always search for it. There just won't Great. be any new episodes coming to that Added feed. To All the new episodes will be going to the other feed. Got it. Right. And for things like our recommendations and our top of mind pieces, those are going to be most – well, I'm not sure about the top of mind, but for sure the recommendations will be tracked in the new website. So it'll be, it'll, it'll, it'll be everything from the last episode or two episodes ago forward. Did I miss Great. anything? All right, cool. Top of mind. We're starting off top of mind. Jim, what's top of mind? 
I told you what was on the top of my mind. Since it's your segment and your idea, why don't you go first? Well, I want to go last. Go, well, I'll go. I already told you it was at the top of my mind. Uh, all right. Peg, you're on. Um, what's on the top of my mind is uh, this whole idea of a real ID. My license, my birthday is on Wednesday, just in case you all wanted to know. Our 12 listeners could wish me a happy birthday on Wednesday. I thought it was a milestone birthday for you. No, it's only 49. But anyway, I had to get a new license because it's expiring. And so I, I, I got the real ID. And... I had to go into the Secretary of State to do that. You couldn't do it uh, remotely like you used to be able to. And I wondered how smart that was when it was really crowded. And uh, some people had masks. Some people didn't. It was hot. And I was there forever. And that's what I have to... That was at the top of my mind. Next. Yeah, it's pretty miserable. Sounds horrible. Shelly. What's on the top of my mind is after we do this recording, I have to go online and order this sprinkler system that my neighbors just showed me um, <laughs> right before I jumped on this call. <laughs> and I'm trying cool. to remember the name of it. So that's why I keep having it top of mind. You didn't write it down. No, because I, they call I, they called me over when I didn't have my phone or anything with me to their yard. And so that's mm. why I didn't didn't have anything. So. Okay, great. Yeah. What do you remember? What the name of it is? Mr. Landscaper. Mr. Landscaper. So why don't you write it there down now? I just did. I just did. Okay. Thank you. Well, it's also on, it's immortalized on the podcast. You can yeah, always yeah, go yeah. back and listen. Yeah, there you go. Gwen, Fantastic. what's top of mind? Free advertising for Mr. Landscaper. <laughs> exactly. What's top of mind? Well, today I was telling a friend that uh, I'm going to go back to Paris to visit my my dad. Yeah. And I have a weird itinerary. And I was wondering if it was really smart. And the itinerary is Philly, Dallas, Doha, Paris. <laughs> oh, that doesn't wow. seem like a good idea. Well, because you can't go from because you can't go to, to is the Continental Europe ban not been lifted? Well, I can get in because I have a French passport. So oh, right, regional. they don't care. Okay. But it's a long story because I had a leftover back to Algiers and I have a friend who works at the desk at the Qatar <laughs> at the airport and she she did a miracle to, to switch to Paris and I said, sure, I'm taking it. And Great. I, I haven't flown in months and I'm just wondering if this is a time to triple the distance to go to Paris. <laughs> but that sounds like a first world problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a global problem, but I have been asking everybody when they're going to start flying again. You could pop in and see Jessica when you're at Doha. Yeah. Yeah. I have nine hours there. Yes. That's oh, a lot of time. I'm sure she'd love to That's drive to an time. airport to hang out. <laughs> 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 Who knows? She might. <laughs> Uh, well, top of mind for me is uh, that we're doing this podcast at an unusual time. We're doing it on a Sunday evening, and I am not an evening person. I'm a morning person, so this is uh, I'm my energy level is very low compared to normal. So I'm uh, I'm just conscious of that, and it's it's kind of on my mind. Okay, and strange. All right, let's transition to our subject. So um, we have spoken about I don't know. I feel like the last time we had a heavy subject was when we had John Gentile on to talk about Charlottesville. And when was that? A few years ago, right? 2017. Yeah, it was a few years ago. So how should we talk about a heavy subject? Wow. How should we talk wow. about it? I think maybe just start with the questions like we normally do. Okay. Mm, Versus Shelly. any topic. Yeah. What's Science Sawyer? Well, how do you ease into it? Okay, like, so talk I'll about ease a into light it. form of loss. We're acting like we've never talked before. Um, <laughs> We're nervous because of Gwen. So, so I will. I'll. I'll start and tell you my first loss, and then we can evolve from there. How does that sound? Okay. Sure. Okay. We can go chronologically. By age or beauty? Oh, time. I thought you said time. No. You're saying no, your he first loss. Time. He means because you're first. Because it doesn't have to be your that first. Is. It can be any loss. Any loss. Yeah, can right. be. Yeah, that's what yeah, I was thinking. Any loss. Yeah, me too. But I, I thought it would just start with my first. Okay, go so for I'll it. So I'll tell you, my first loss, I was a junior in high school. Junior, sophomore, junior, I think. And I was kind of barely dating this guy. Dating, I use in air quotes because my parents didn't allow me to date. Um, and you were going with him. Yeah, we would, I would sneak out, sneak to th do things to meet him after after a game, a football game or something. He was a football player and he was super, super shy. And it was right before Christmas. 
and we had a basketball game that Friday night. And the two, there were a group of people that went to a neighboring town to go shopping, Christmas shopping. And on the way back, they uh, were, four people were killed in a car accident. One was my boyfriend. One was, or whatever he was to me, boyfriend at the time, I guess. Uh, They were all three super popular kids and they were 17, 17, 18. They were, they were all seniors. Um, I was a junior and like the, and you know, I grew up in a very small town and the whole town was devastated. So you have this, these three kids who were killed in the car, plus the mom of the other car that they were hit head on. And it was hard. It was hard to, you know, I didn't have anybody that I'd ever experienced a loss. Um, And it really stuck with me. And every year around on uh, December 17th, I uh, think of that that night. It's just like one of those things that just sticks in your brain certain dates do. And it's not like I was super close to this person or ever going to get married or anything like that. But it was like the feeling of a person there one day and not there the next. Wow. That's painful. So, so um, is loss primarily, we're, ta- we're primarily talking about people we've lost, I think. It's, that's, that's what, I think that's probably what's going to come to mind first. So, let's talk to you, let's talk to you Gwen. Gwen. So yes. what prompted us to do this podcast was your experience. And I think it was your experience was amplified by distance and kind of all kinds of extenuating circumstances, like one of them being that your mom was awesome. And so I tell, tell us a little bit about your experience. Well, it's funny because as Shelly was talking about sudden loss in some ways, because my mom was gradually, I was, we were gradually losing her to dementia. So it's a combination of this gradual loss over the past two, three years preceding her death. And then on top of that, she, she died of a, of a uh, ruptured aneurysm. So it was instantaneous, but, but it was a three-year gradual loss, sort of a slow motion disappearance of my mom that you, you knew as, you know, this, this amazing go-getter. Nothing would stop her, free-spirited. And I just, over the years, traveling more and more frequently back to Paris to sort of capture as much as I could and sort of try to catch up, you know, lost time over the past 30 years I've been in the U.S. I saw that as my last chance to experience what was slowly disappearing. And then a year and a half ago, she collapsed on the street and never woke up. So it's this combination of gradual and, and, and sort of instantaneous loss. It sounds like you almost felt like you had more of a loss early on when you were losing her than the actual kind of, I don't know, the last, the last straw. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, it was like a slow motion, uh, like she was shrinking, you know, her world was mm. shrinking, her interests were shrinking. When she looked at me, every time I visited, I visited almost every other month, there would be that sparkle because, you know, her baby was back, but she wouldn't ask questions anymore. She wouldn't engage in conversations. She, you know, ice cream was a big thing on the tail end of her life. And so it was, so in that sense, it was gradual. But it was hard every time, you know, it's like snapshots, like time lapse of, of, of her decline. Every other month or every three months, I could see how worse it was getting. So that was, that was an exercise. <laughs> was, it, was it harder to see the gradual loss of the mom that you remember versus if she'd had that aneurysm just early on and it was a sudden loss? What, what was the hardest part? I think the, the gradual loss because... You know, although she she was uh, she's still alive and active and walking. You know, the person that I was hanging on to, and that was that was a rough exercise sometimes because, I mean, my brothers, my my dad was had an infinite patience with her, but my brothers and I sometimes would get on her case because we, we were almost sort of uh, fighting against her, although it was certainly not her fault. But you know. Uh, almost harsh with her when she wouldn't remember something or, or 
said something that made no sense. And, and, and it took a lot of work to accept that this was not, although when you, we knew it in our, in our head that it wasn't her fault. And, you know, it's like if she was limping, we wouldn't get on her case because she's not walking fast enough. But when it's the, when it's the brain that goes, I think it's, it's harder to accept it because you don't see it. You just experience it. Um, so, so I think that was the, the hardest part. I have a question for Gwen also because so Gwen and I were roommates for quite some time and then remained have remained good friends. So I know a bit about his history with his mom and he and his mom, very close relationship from very early on. And um, so I can imagine or I, I can't imagine it'd be hard to see that decline like that. But what maybe our listeners should know is that your mom survived multiple cancer relapses. And I wonder, did you ever think that she wouldn't die from cancer and to have her be wind up getting such severe dementia after surviving what, like four, four bouts with cancer? Yeah, four, you're right. I mean, that's just like a the Energizer Bunny. She just kept on going. It was amazing. And I, that's what I always thought would get her in the end. So I was shocked to hear what happened. And had you ever prepared yourself for losing her earlier when she kept getting these cancers and she kept smoking, right? She didn't ever stop. Yeah. Um, Drinking her Bud Light. Yeah. Bud Light. Bud Light. (laughs) (laughs) Only in the U.S. Oh, okay. <laughs> the first oh. time she had Bud Light in the in the U.S. I mean, in the U.S., our, I was with her, and she comes to my ear. We're at a restaurant, and she whispers in my in my ear, "When they put water in it." Does <laughs> 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 she like it? Hilarious. <laughs> Wasn't strong uh, enough for her. <laughs> she like, put water in it. Um, <clears throat> so, no, the, the cancer thing, you know, which happened over 20, probably the first cancer, breast cancer, was, was when I had been barely 10 years in the U.S. So, yes, over the 30 years in the U.S., I've had this diff, this, these sort of um, almost warning to the mortality of my mom. You know, first cancer, you're away and you hesitate whether you should come back. It was stage one. So my dad, don't, don't, don't worry about it. It was on lumpectomy. And so, but it's, this is the first experience of my mom's mortality. And then, and then it came back, a few, you know, 10 years later, I think. And then she had a uterine cancer. So every time... It made me more aware of her mortality. She bounced back every time. And, but there was, it was almost like, a, a, in a sense, a bit of exposure therapy to, to, yeah, the possibility that I would lose her from far. And the older I've grown and, and, and the more years I spent away from, from, from her, made me more and more anxious at the idea that she would disappear overnight and I wouldn't have, and I would have regrets to not have maximized the amount of time with her as I was growing older and she was growing older. So, you know, sort of the shrinking window of opportunity to spend time in each other's presence. So, I think that that, uh, personally for me, I think that is sort of normal for people when, as we age, because I feel like I could relate to that, that the older I got, there were other reasons, but I was also sort of like, okay, I'm ready to move back to Grand Rapids. I'd like to be closer to my parents. They're getting older. Shelly moved home closer to her parents. John, you're home closer to your family. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Jim, I don't really know your circumstance, but I hope you're going to share it with us. But I definitely had some of that feeling like, oh, I want to spend some more time with these old people as uh, their time's getting shorter and shorter. So I moved back, not necessarily to spend time with my parents, which this is going to sound terrible. I moved back because I was missing out on seeing my nieces and nephews grow up. That doesn't sound terrible. Well, no, what sounds terrible is not 
that wasn't my yeah. initial motivation for my parents. But now that I'm here, that's certainly why I'm staying here. I, you know, in a way, I call it the sort of the the old salmon going back to its river <laughs> feeling, you know, and, and the draw gets stronger and stronger, the, you know, and, and to the point when I'm making the move back to Paris, so I'm doing everything I can to make it happen for good. You want to be closer um, to your dad and your brothers, I want, but more yeah, your dad. Yeah, I want to be closer to where I came from. And it's this sort of uh, primal instinct almost. And, 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 you know, going back to Paris is not like going back to uh, Syria in the middle of a civil war, but I have that option. But, but, but the visceral need to, to go back to my roots and, 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 and try to re-experience some of my happiness there, I guess, um, or just, just, just nurture those roots again. So Gwen, is it, is it, is it, I, I like the analogy of the salmon upstream, swimming upstream, but I also wonder sometimes if that's, I mean, I've, I've, I've left and come back to Chicago a bunch of times and it's always been for family. I've come back. So I'm not sure that this time is any different from the others, although I think it is because I'm married and have a kid, which is different. Um, and I think I want them to be around a family more, but I, but I also think that there's some other part of me and this, I don't think this applies to you. That's why I want to know if it really is the salmon analogy, because I do think the other thing that, that appeals to me about being closer to family is that I just, I want to see family. And I used to be, I used to come back to see family in Chicago from where, wherever I lived on earth, I would just come back pretty easily. And what I've discovered is I just don't have the desire to travel the way I used to. I just don't, I don't, I can't be bothered <clears throat> like zipping around all the time and like planning all my minutes and like making sure I'm going ever. And for me, it's literally like the stuff that I want to do it really like, I don't know if it's some kind of a Buddhist meditation thing that I did, but I'm like, I, I can just be almost anywhere and it's fine. It's all just fine. I mean, do you feel like once you get to Paris, it's going to be that, or is it entirely, you know, like this, this primal urge to get back? I, you know, people ask me, well, what's the ideal situation that's coming next for you? And I tell them being based in Paris and do my global health from Paris, you know, with, with in-country work and, but, but Paris being the base. So it's sort of having your cake and eat it too. You know, I'm not ready to hang my hat in terms of traveling or, or, you know, putting myself in some crazy, uh, situations or, or, you know, still, I still want to challenge myself in terms of, uh, right. In terms of how I can adapt to new conditions, new settings, new, new cultures, you know, but, but from Paris and, and, and have both in my life. And there's a little bit of a difference. I mean, obviously there's a couple differences, but Gwen, how long have you been in Philly at the same job? 20. And John, you haven't done that. So there's a difference in the way you guys are. Maybe if I were going to project on both of you, you, John, you have, you're enjoying just being there and slowing down a little bit. Gwen slowed down for 20 years and he's ready for a little change. (laughs) Yeah. If I may say that. Well, Well, Gwen, if you could go back and do it, if you could go back and experience any of that stuff with your mom differently, would you have, for example, moved to Paris sooner? You know, I think the the urge, the draw grows with age. And I guess I wasn't old enough. And I, my mom wasn't mortal enough in spite of the cancers. And, and you know, and I had made, you know, with Bob, the girls I was on, 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 on that project. Um, so... Not really. Um, you got to live your life too. I mean, when you, you know, I'll, I'll always remember the day I left for the U.S. to start grad school, and my mom crying at the airport, not knowing when I would come back, or you know, this sort of first goodbyes. When you start that, you don't you don't know what's next for the long term. It, it is just sort of this wide open field of possibilities. So. Um, I don't, I don't think I would have done it differently, honestly. Well, and at the time she was healthy and you were still, you guys were doing all sorts of cool trips together and. 
Yeah, it was a good balance for the longest time. You saw her yeah. frequently. I saw her frequently. I was lucky enough to do that. They came. No, it, it's. I think it takes many ingredients to make you feel that urge to go back. Age is one of them. Um, time spent on the job in the same city is another one for me. Um, my own sense of growing old. All these different things um, come together and make sort of make you ripe for it. So who haven't we heard from? You, me, and Jim. <laughs> yeah, all right. Peg, why don't you go? Jim's <laughs> checking out. Well, it's interesting. I was... For me, it's uh, I could pick a, the obvious one would be the sudden loss of my dad, which we did discuss on the podcast before. And he died. It'll be three years in December. And it was very unexpected. Um, but over these last three years, I've had lots of thoughts. Like in listening to Gwen right now and uh, some other people that I know whose parents are suffering from either chronic illness and they're miserable or dementia or you, whatever it may be. And I have said repeatedly that, oh my gosh, my dad would have never wanted that. Never, never, never. And I mean, yeah, nobody yeah, yeah. wants it, Yeah. but there are people who want to, who are afraid of dying, who say, do whatever, you know, don't pull the plug, whatever. He would have been so miserable if he had somebody taking care of him if if he were incontinent if he were you know any of that stuff that i almost feel like it was better that way you know there's all this conflict in my brain about is it better to be able to say goodbye to somebody or somebody who you know is dying can you say goodbye to them and then you have some nice clo nicer closure versus just sudden dropping dead like that. I mean, that Monday that he died, they, my parents were supposed to come to dinner at, at my house that night, you know, and I, I, I've saved the very last email wow. that I've received from him. And I had I've saved the very last card and because I want to see his writing. I didn't save any right. voicemails or anything like that. The last piece of clothing that he gave me, I just wore it the other day. It's this really weird shirt and everybody always comments on it and I hardly ever wear it. But I see it and I'm like, my dad gave me that shirt and keeping it. You know, I probably won't keep it forever, but still a little fresh. So that's my most obvious loss. And then it's just bizarre how life just goes on. Yeah. Super weird. Mm -hmm. It just does. I mean, I, that probably sounds stupid. Yeah. I've lost grandparents. No, it yeah. But they're supposed to, your grandparents are supposed to die, you know, because they're old. <laughs> right. So that's, and my dad, people might say, oh, he was old. He was 75. Well, personally, he didn't seem that old to me. He was no. super active yeah. and healthy and he was in great shape. Worked. Yeah, yeah. He, was fun he was a and young so 75. It didn't feel, and I think also that when we're the older we get, 75 seems younger. Mm -hmm. Of course. Right. <laughs> so, of course. 30 years ago, I thought 75 was ancient, but now that I'm. So that's my most. Wait. Um, so what's the answer? You said it's either it's either that you pull the bandaid off and have them, you know, drop off right away. Or, uh, I don't know. The, which one would you pick? I don't know. I mean, your situation is similar to mine, Jim. How are your parents? No, my parents are both dead. My father died when he was eighty-four. My mother died when she was ninety-three, and it was okay. in either case was it particularly sudden? I mean, they had been in. Uh, fading for different reasons for some time. So it was not shocking, obviously still very sad anytime you lose a parent or a loved one. So I don't think there's anything particularly unique I can add to say about them. Obviously, it's always a loss when stuff like that happens, even if the circumstances are not like I said, not shocking, not surprising. I would say, and I've mentioned this before, and I wouldn't want to in any way place myself in a more uh, important position than I had. But I did feel very strongly about the loss of one of my former debaters, Matt Ornstein, who tragically passed away just over five years ago. And he was a young man in his early 30s. And uh, that was a more shocking and in probably honestly more tragic situation. And again, I'm certainly not 
putting myself in comparison to the loss his parents and his brother suffered. But uh, but I, I miss Matt, and I I feel terrible about that. But uh, yeah, Jim, I have a question. Um, you know, as you're saying, your parents were declining, and it wasn't a surprise when they died. But was this a sense of of, of relief in at some at some stage um, after their death? With my dad, I, I, we sometimes have that conversation that my mom's trajectory, you know, in terms of dementia, was was getting worse and worse, and and that aneurysm, in a in a sense, was was a good thing for her, for my dad, for for the whole family. So, but sometimes it's hard to to verbalize that. I understand what you're saying. I'm not sure uh, that was. I don't think, I mean, it's possible, but I don't, it's not how I remember it. Uh, but uh, I mean, I can understand that. I'm not sure that's, I think it was, I think it was a, a sad event that had been, you know, foreseen, you know, that it was, uh, you know, on some level inevitable, I guess, but uh, still sad, of course. I feel that way about a lot of strangers, honestly, as a as a former oncology inpatient nurse that there was some relief I saw from families and just in general. I mean, it's easy for me to say because I'm not related to people, but you think, yeah, I mean, that person's not going to get better and they're suffering. So let's let everybody else stop suffering too. They're still going to suffer because they're going to mourn. But and and my ALS patient, which I've referred to many times on the podcast, it was time for her to go. Her husband is young enough and healthy enough to get out there and stop caring for her twenty four seven and enjoy what's left of his life. So I I see that. I see what you're saying, Gwen. I think when um, it's a long lingering situation, the there's so much loss that's happening chronically over a very long period of time, you know, depending on how long that person's in pain and they're getting taken care of. And so it's loss for memory of what you have, how that person was, and it's the loss of you know, if you become automatically their caretaker or your loss of, oh my gosh, is this next phone call going to be the one? Or, you know, all of the the stability that you had when this person wasn't ill, all of that, I think, folds into the general umbrella of loss, not just when they're gone from this earth. I think you could so, have another fun podcast on, you know, end of life issues and right to die. <laughs> <laughs> Something yeah. light again. Well, light it. Yeah, I mean, I was. So, can I ask a follow up question to Jim though, Jim? So, are do you, can you share about what happened to your former debater? I mean, it's anytime a young person dies like yeah, that. Yeah, it was a. I can't really go into the details, but it was a tragic circumstance, and he died obviously way too young. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a health situation. It was an accident, and. Okay. Uh, but, you know, well, and that—that's always so, so yeah painful. I mean, it was a uh, you know, it's a very um, you know, uh, you know, it's it seems very much a shame. Uh, so my one of my, I feel like youth is a is a is a is a big piece of it, or or unexpectedness. Um, my dad died very unexpectedly at the age of sixty three of a heart attack, and we buried him on Christmas Eve. 1997, and I will won't forget that. Uh, it was very sudden, and I literally was driving from the north side of Chicago, trying to make it to the hospital where he was in the OR or the ER and the OR. I guess he was both those things, and uh, I didn't get there in time. And uh, and I remember it being just very, it just I mean that, and I I guess I never really even took, I didn't realize what an impact it had on me. It's had an impact, and I do want to get to that with all of us is talk about the implications because I almost feel like. The effect of the loss is almost more interesting in some ways than the loss because, like Peggy said, life goes on. And I, I have, I mean, it was 1997. It's been a very long time, and I'm still definitely feeling it. But in some ways, the bigger losses that I remember were my three friends who died of AIDS, who were in, who were, you know, in their 20s when I was in my 20s, and were in and out of the hospital 
multiple times. And I remember going with a bunch of friends to these hospitals. And, you know, when you have a 20-something kid in the hospital on the brink of death who literally the day before was running a marathon, you know, it just like, it, it just, it it was like your head was spinning. And so, I feel like I was, I don't know, I was, exp- I, it it felt tragic, but it felt, I mean, that, that like, um, getting, in, getting stuck with the idea of, it, the inevitability of it, and it's it, uh, and and the fact that it just happens and life goes on. I got that very early because I had a I had quite a few friends die at a pretty young age. So, and I, it was right around the time I was coming out and kind of becoming sexually active. So it was all very real to me. Uh, that's what I remember. I mean, Gwen, you're. I mean, yeah, I imagine that was probably similar in France. It was probably some of that, or was that not really around? What, what do you mean? Your uh, network of friends. Were friends dying of AIDS? No, no. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, no, the only exposure in 1982, my first hospital job right out of high school was this kid who was admitted for, uh, I think, a, a sprained ankle and uh, before I arrived and um, was at the very last stage of, of dying of AIDS. And, and that was my first exposure to, to that horrible... Yeah, well, and that's why, and the and the and the impact it had on me was enormous. Which was just, you know, the two, two of them I remember vividly. Two of thy friends were pretty much like kind of, um, you know, they were just fly by night, took jobs wherever they could grab them. A couple of them were selling drugs, and they were, I mean, they were on the brink of, they were constantly on the brink of death. And I never judged them. I was always like, look, these guys are, you know, they've they've been almost dying since they were 15. So I kind of, I feel like that was part of where I am. And I don't know what effect it had on me because I have never lived where that wasn't a part of my upbringing or what it wasn't a part of my 20s. But I feel like it's a, it's a part of it. So I guess that's, that's kind of my segue to talk about what are the implications that you feel come from these experiences of loss. Are you asking just anybody? Yeah, just anybody. For me, it's, I think it's two things. It's the obvious thing is that I'm next, you know, in, 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 in the mm-hmm. queue. Yeah, yeah. That when that generation, when your parents are gone, you're next yeah. in the order. If, and so that, that's one and it's obvious, but, but it, it becomes real when you start losing parents, at least when you're in your late fifties. And the second one is, is, is about what the meaning of, you know, I was listening to a Brené Brown um, podcast on, on mourning and the stages of mourning. And then there was this like last stage was related to what was the significance of that loss. And so I tried to think about what was the significance of my mom's loss. And it wasn't obvious, but, but I, I, as, as time went by, Essentially, for me, it's it's to honor her legacy. Things that you know beyond the genes and all that. It's this pursuit of who you are and 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 what it takes to be sort of uh, self-realized and to pursue those things um, as fearlessly as you as you can. But. To add on to that, uh, for me, I haven't had a whole lot of like I'm next or self-realize myself because I'm not that in tune with myself. However, I have had some, my implications are not having uh, any children of my own uh, and my brother doesn't have any children of his own. I, I look at my photographs back in the, you know, we all, I have like, billions and billions of photo albums. Or when I was looking through my parents' photo albums, I kept being struck with nobody is going to care about any of this. I have nobody who's going to care. Once I'm gone, nobody cares. And it's just the weirdest thought. And uh, like I used to love to leaf through my grandparents' photo albums and so to me, that's weird. And if I think about it too much, I can get really down. So I put it out of my thoughts because I've had a really awesome, fun life. And, you know, the only people that really care about it are my friends, my current friends and my current, you know, my family. 
it's just going to be gone. And that's just what it is. So it's better not to think about that too much. And then the other thing is, which I've heard Gwen say, because we've talked about the death of our parents, is that when I'm trying to be responsible and save money and do the right thing, and uh, I think more like life is short, just do it. So I've done a few things since uh, I've been married that I wouldn't, I didn't do the first five or six years of marriage, like just drop everything and go to France with my nephew and, you know, like do it, go for it and quit trying to be so responsible. Not that I'm going to put it all on a red roulette, but you know what I mean? Do some more stuff, live a little. Right. Have a different perspective than you did. Yeah. Loosen up a little bit. Be my old self. When my grandmother died six years ago, seven, six, it'll be seven years ago, I think, I was still living in Chicago away from here where she lived. And I couldn't help my family when she needed, you know, when they were helping with her. And I was really close to my grandmother. So I missed out on helping. And then I was coming back and forth, back and forth. So that was really um, hard on me and I think my family as well. And once she passed and I moved back to Chicago, I, kind of took a a self-assessment of what's important to me um, since I wasn't there to help my family. I wasn't there to spend more time with my grandmother when she was dying. I'd spent lots of time with her growing up, but when I wanted to be more available, I wasn't. Um, And that was the effect of me on me of losing her. It helped me reevaluate what's important to me. And what's important to you, Shelley? What's important to me? My family, being close to my family, (laughs) coming back. So coming back and assessing like I don't need to spend so much time on work all the time. I need to have a little bit more diversity with, you know, work during the work hours, less, uh, less on the weekend, spend more time with family. And so now I take my nieces and nephews on these amazing trips to help them see things that are beyond just the immediate. But it was my grandmother's passing, I think, that would tip the scale for me. And to your point, Gwen, it was a culmination of things. It wasn't the right time in my life when I was younger to leave and come back here. All I had to have a lot of dominoes in a row before I was ready to come back because I never thought I'd come back to Indiana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, what about you, John? Did you you asked the question, right? Well, well in, in yeah, in in support of what we said earlier. I mean, I was thirty when my dad died, so in some ways, you would thirty doesn't seem that young. In some ways, it seems super young. In other ways, but it doesn't seem that young in the sense of like I wasn't like a child. But I definitely did not. I did not experience any major implications because of that that loss. I feel like it just didn't. I just kind of was like. Well, people die, and I was—I I might have even been kind of dismissive. I was like, I just—I—I I didn't. I don't feel like I took away any major lessons. A far more recent death, however, a friend of a friend who kind of is a friend. He's Swedish. His mother—I um, uh, don't know. Do you commit euthanasia? Um, she put. She basically um, had a uh, decided she was. She wasn't well. She wasn't feeling well, and instead of going through what she knew she was going to be going through for the next X number of years, she decided to kill herself. And she um, did it in with doctors and officially. And and my my friend and and this the the woman who was uh, committing suicide and her. Son had dinner the night before it was going to happen. It was all announced in the family, and it was uh, it was like this. And they they kind of decided it. And I that that's I only heard it as a story, you know. And obviously, I heard it secondhand uh, from somebody who was there. But that's had an enormous impact on me. <laughs> I was suddenly like, well, should I be doing this? Should I be thinking? You know, I, I haven't read uh, Tool Gawande's Being Mortal, but I've been told by a million people to read it. And I haven't read uh, and I haven't, you know, I haven't created a living will and all those things you're supposed to do about, you know, to kind of make sure for end of life care. To, I haven't thought about any of that, but I suddenly was like, this was so strong and confident and bold and maybe, you know, overly so that it just shook me to the core and made me suddenly think and talk about implications. It's made me think about everything and think about, I should be planning for everything and I should have a standard for what it means that I'm going to end my life. You know, like, so that, that loss, and that was a story of a loss. It wasn't even my own loss, but it was a story of a loss had a huge impact on me for making me think that I should be doing more planning. 
Well, now that you have a kid, you should do some planning, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, sure. That's even weirder. And that's even weirder. And having a kid in your 50s is even weirder. So it's, yeah, it's way out there. It's way out there. I, I sometimes think of my own demise when I'm getting ready to take a big trip. And I'm like, okay, well, if this plane doesn't make it over the Atlantic Ocean, what's going to happen <laughs> to my house? So I have like uh-huh. written, and I don't have a will. I have written, you know, on a piece of paper and placed it on my desk, you know, all my clothes and shoes and bags go to Peggy Bennett, you know, and all yes. this. Is, and I'm serious. I have, I have written this out. Uh-huh. Score. <laughs> too bad. Too bad. My feet are a little bit bigger than yours, but I'll take it. I'll shove them in there. Bind them if I have to. Shelly, may I ask you a question? Yes, yes, Jim. Why not just make a will? Uh, so I did. I I have the paperwork. Um, now I just got it like two months ago. I haven't. I just haven't. That done would it. that would necess- that would relieve you of the obligation to do a list every time you take a trip. Yes, it would. <laughs> do you have a it will, Jim? No, you don't. I have no assets to leave. You have three except kids, right? Insurance, except insurance. But won't it just yeah. make it like uh, simpler for them? Like your, do you own your no, where you live? It's actually simpler if you leave it to them that it doesn't have to go through an estate because that's actually cheaper. Okay. Do you own your home? Your no. pl- okay, so that's a non-issue. I don't own a home or a car. Okay. Oh, that makes it Also, easier. if you have set up an estate, all of your debts can be charged off to the estate. Uh, Gwen, did you know that uh, Jim's a lawyer? No. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm having glad I didn't my, know that before I started. I, I will say that having my dad die and and seeing that they're how organized my parents are with their planning like it's they've already paid for where they want to be married. They got it all written yeah. down. Yeah. It, that's a good that is nice on the kids. But in but in general I mean, again, I'm not an estate lawyer, but there's a general rule of thumb that anything you can transfer outside of your estate is better for everyone. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Jim, you read That's a why tool. people set up trusts and so forth. Yeah. Yep. But all my whatever, essentially whatever I leave to the mother, then my literally my personal effects is in insurance. And insurance doesn't go through your estate. It goes directly right. to the beneficiaries. Have, has, has any of you read Being Mortal? I'm curious because I, I know no. that that's – I remember one of our mutual friends uh, from Dallas, his mother died. He, I mean, he pulled me aside and was just like, you need to make – you need to read this book and you need to do what it says because the American medical system is screwed up at the end of life and you need to plan around it. Mm. I'm like Janine. I don't read books. <laughs> I'm trying to do why here. There's a Netflix show on it. I read, I read Being that, Mortal. Being Mortal. I yeah. did too. Yeah. It's a good well, book. You're both medical professionals, so. Yeah. Takeaway, is it worth reading? Is it is it is it what it is it useful for this? Is that the one about the doctor? The doctor who, wrote it. It's surgeon, I think, wrote it. Yeah, so it's um, not the one about the doctor who has cancer. I get all mine. I read so many books, I can't the, keep straight. Is that the book that got Peggy hot, so hot? It's, no, yeah, that's right. certainly not that. It's it's more about um, like thinking about the things to do at end of life instead of focusing on survival, how doctors should really think about uh, like um, quality of care, what's important to the patient. Oh, that's why um, we're all about hospice earlier. People who go on hospice live longer. It's, there's data. And, and they gave different they gave different options so not just nursing home like it gave a little bit of the history of ner- why nursing homes started if i'm thinking of the right book like why nursing homes started and how they you know came from like the poor houses or whatever they used to be called and they evolved into like those living communities that people can go into that have different levels of medical that's uh, a good book they even talk about um assisted physician assisted suicide i think yeah th- that's what i heard was in there that's the that's the one i heard that's the piece i heard was in it but i haven't read yeah. it but, but but this is a good transition because this is not my recommendation for the week um but uh i do want to move on to recommendations so are we ready to do that sure we didn't even talk anybody about have space. Any, anybody sure. have any anybody have anything they want to add prior to get diving into recommendations 
No, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Who wants to go first? Gwen, I you do, want to give I us do. a recommendation? Pegger, you're giving us a recommendation. Hey. I totally forgot to think about my recommendation. <laughs> I was so busy <laughs> trying to think of top of mind. Mine. You're the worst. I just can't have all this pressure that um, while we were talking about your friends whose mom planned her suicide, I remembered the book that I liked that was called Me Before You. So if you want a fiction book that's light, that's easy, and it's about planning your own death, <laughs> I recommend... A light and easy book about planning your own death. Me Before You. Keep it light. By JoJo somebody. <laughs> All right. Great. I love it. Who's next? I'll go. I actually have two recommendations because I was going, Peggy said she what didn't have flip? one. So I was going to, I was going to cover for you. I was going to give you one of mine. Oh, thanks. Uh, you always got uh, one back, girl. Yeah, I do. So my first recommendation and empowering thing is to build something. So I built oh, a yeah, yeah. bench for my patio and it puts stores my cushions in it. So it's a wooden thing and it comes, you know, put piece number one into piece number two. It's like super easy. But uh-huh. when you only have one person doing it at a time, it makes it twice as long. <laughs> so Shelly, shouldn't you have followed your last recommendation? I know. Ask for help. I know. But I didn't. It, because <laughs> I like to see Jim. if I could do yeah, it. Jim remembers. <laughs> he does. Um, and I love it. It is so fun. I can't wait for all of you to come visit and see it. That's everyone. Put a picture of it on the podcast webpage. Yeah. With that filter from the iPhone 10. I'll send it to you. But my real one is um, I, about a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I signed up for Audible. And I've always given Peggy grief about listening to books and not reading books. So I try, I thought I'd give it a shot and I signed up for Audible. And then, I got irked because I could only get one book and I want more. And I was limited to one book until it came, it was going to come around June 16th when I could get my next credit for my next book. Yep. So, or you can listen to so many free ones, whatever, or you can sign up for the year, which was super expensive. So I got, and Peggy said, why don't you just go to your library, get a library card. And I couldn't go to the library because of COVID-19, but in one day on Monday, I canceled my Audible through email, was able to fill out the application, immediately got a temporary e- uh, email card or a temporary library card. And I'm about three quarters of the way through my book. And I have unlimited <laughs> free access to books. So I am <laughs> digging it. So basically, you're saying you think public libraries are a good thing. Well, yes. Well, just do it. You don't have to pay for to be to have yes, unlimited reading. I think reading. that's been true of libraries for about three hundred and fifty years. Well, it is true, and I, no, I was a big library when growing up. I we but you I, forgot. You know, in the summer, you have all those stars and those competitions. Who has the most right. stars so by the end of the summer? About the library, I have. I have not had a library card since I was a kid. I am so glad you finally listened to me about something. <laughs> That's true. I listen to you. Peggy, I must point out that you never actually made that a formal recommendation. Get a library. No, card. I did it privately. We talked on yeah. the phone or something. I also don't take Xanax with vodka, so I listen to you. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. So Just many callbacks to the last episode. Yes. Yes. Mother. mother. That just means if you didn't hear our last episode and you're listening to this one, you have to go back and listen to that one. Yes. Teaser. John. Gwen, who's next? Gwen, what do you got for us? I'm happy to go. You know, I prepared two because I knew um, Peg wouldn't wouldn't have one. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Gwen. You know what? Because I've been making these uh, trips to North Africa and, and I don't speak um, more than four words of Arabic, I decided to learn Arabic. And oh, no way. It's like going back to the gym after, I don't know, 30 years, uh, not going to the language gym. And it's hard. It hurts. But I love it because... Really? 
it's and then you know and it's not you know you have to learn how to write you're you know you feel like a toddler who doesn't shape the letters properly and if you show that to an arabic speaker he's there they're smiling and but i feel young again with with that new challenge and so that's that's a recommendation pick up a new language if if you're up for it sweet nice Wow, good one. Sweet. I believe anyone can learn anything, so I love that. That's a great one. And number two is self-care. I think right now it's important to make an effort for self-care and and remember the power of good enough. Hmm. This is deep. I was just going to take a shower because of your recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) That's version of self care. That seems out of context, actually. (laughs) For Peg, it's right in line. It's right in line. (laughs) It's running like for Peg, believe me. We were roommates. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Good ones. That's deep, man. Yeah. I'm not going to. I'm not going to pick up a language, but it's, it's anybody can learn a language. Anybody can learn anything. You just got to study. Um, my recommendation is to, I don't know, recognize, I guess it's recognize the, okay, I'll, I'll just make it a book. It's, I think I may have referred to this book before, but I'm gonna refer to it again. It's called black swans. I'm sorry, wild swans, three generations of Chinese okay, you women. You recommended a book, black swans. Is this the yeah, same? Yeah, that book? was. That's the same book. I said it wrong last time. It's wild swans. <laughs> I'm on. I, am, I reread the last. Yeah, this is a recycling program. The book has had a profound effect on me. And I'm, okay, so you've already recommended this. So you're recommending it again. <laughs> so now, John, John. You're now taking the position that people can just recycle what they've said before. Well, because it wasn't the recommendation is to recognize uh, something about life is to recognize that that horrible things happen in regular circumstances. Because and that book is what made me think about it. But it's like the unbelievable things that people went through in under Mao. Is b- blows me away. That's your uh, definition and, and, of regular and, and, circumstances. And the regular, well, well, no, and in, in you know, in, and then at the same time, they would like go home after having been shamed publicly and spat on, had their had blood letting out of their brains, and then go home and have shalom bow and you know soup dumplings with grandma. And the and what I've realized is the that these horrible, horrible tragedies happen just in regular time with regular life right next door and right at the same time, almost at the, almost minutes later, it's just things happen concurrently. And we, and that these big tragedies don't happen off in the distance. They're just part of our lives. Awesome. Recycling, John. Yeah. It's a recycling (laughs) job. (laughs) All right, Jim. British TV procedural first four seasons available on Amazon prime line of duty. British TV. Procedural. British TV police procedural available on Amazon. The first four seasons are available on Amazon Prime. It's called Line of Duty. Oh, that sounds right up my alley. What's police procedural mean? <laughs> police procedural. It's about police doing their work. Oh, I mean, oh, it's a category of film. It's not the name of it. It's not called police it's procedural. Called Line of Duty. Line of duty. For the third time. Duty. Okay. Some of you may have seen may have seen the mini series <laughs> Bodyguard on Netflix. It I was just finished by, it. It was written by the same guy who writes this. Did we already do this, that as a recommendation? I don't know. I'll look it up. I could say I liked it. Time. Did you like it? Okay, you've already got one for this time, Peg. You are not one who can use extra. <laughs> You should save yours. Oh, no, you didn't. I kind of like Bodyguard. Bodyguard's Mm. not bad. Bodyguard's better than this, but uh, this is not always completely plausible, but it is a wild ride. Well, none of them are. Shelly, did you watch Bodyguard? I don't think so. No. You like it? Yeah, with Whitney Houston. Last, no, you'll like different, it. Different hey, last, you want to get to pints? Eh? This, uh, this particular, the the focus of this particular 
<laughs> series is what we would call in most of the police departments in the United States internal affairs, which apparently they call <gasps> anti-corruption. Those sons of bitches. Those and IA. And <laughs> IAB. In, uh, in there, they're called anti-corruption. <laughs> specifically, as they say on the show, AC-12, which is the unit the shows focus on. Anti-corruption mm-hmm. unit 12. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, it's a wild ride. Okay. We will check that one out. That's a good one, Jim. Be sure cool. to check out Body. All right, who's taking yeah. us out? Well, folks, that is all the time we have for you today. As always, we want to thank every one of you for listening and spending uh, a bit of your life with us. We are extremely thankful for our Frenchie friend Gwen, who we love so much. So. Thank you, Gwen, for sharing oh, with us. My pleasure. <laughs> if you like our podcast, please, it really helps us enormously. If you rate us um, in iTunes, that's kind of how iTunes works. Um, you could write a review. We like comments, voice uh, memos. We'd love to hear your questions, suggestions for topics, even. You can tweet us. You can also um, find us on Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, Spotify. You can even tell Siri and Alexa to find us. Um, And as a reminder, this will be our last episode in the old feed. The old feed is um, Two Guys in Search of an Argument. So please look for us in search of an argument. So we drop the two guys, so to speak. Please join us again. So much baggage. Great, great discussions and um, take care, everyone. Bye.